And now, uh, let's turn our full attention to the scripture reading from 1 Samuel, on which the teaching today is based. Let's turn our full attention to the reading of God's own word. (coughs) The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, From beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to peer at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, my name is Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors at Exilic. And uh, last week, we started a new sermon series. Let me, let me move this out of the way. We started a new sermon series uh, on 1 Samuel uh, called After God's Heart. And, uh, and the way that we defined uh, being after someone's heart was basically like this. If you want to chase after someone's heart, what does that look like? It looks like caring about what they care about, loving what they love, valuing what they value, that, that what's important to them is now important to you. That, that's what it means to sort of... Um, be after someone's heart. And similarly, if we want to be a person that is after God's heart, uh, what that means is that what he loves, we now love. What he values, we now value. What's important to him is now important to 
to us as well, right? So now the question is, how do we find out what exactly is important to God? What does God care about? What does he value? Uh, what, what, what is important to him exactly? And, and I think one of the ways uh, that we can discover what is important to God is by first listening to God and what he cares about and what he values. Uh, every relationship requires communication. Uh, and prayer is the way that we talk to God so that he knows our hearts. But it's not enough just for us to talk to God so he knows our hearts. We also have to learn how to listen to God so that we know his heart as well. And so what we're going to be taking a look at today is how exactly do we learn how to listen to God? So that's what we'll be taking a look at today. If you weren't here last week, uh, we were introduced to a mother, a remarkable mother named Hannah, who had some fertility issues, uh, but she was able to give birth to a little boy named Samuel. And today we'll learn a little bit more about who exactly Samuel is. So take a look with me again at verse 1. And it says this, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Uh, so take a look at that phrase again, the word of the Lord was rare. And so that kind of gives you a pulse of what the, the spiritual condition was like with the people of God back then. There was sort of this, this distance. God was all the way over here. The people were all the way over there. So there was this sort of spiritual disconnect between the people and God. And a part of the reason why there was this disconnect with God amongst the people is because all the way at the top, uh, in terms of leadership, uh, there was also a disconnect with the people uh, uh, in, in the leadership positions and God as well. Anytime an organization, a family, a company, a staff, or team, anytime a group is unhealthy, you can always look at the top. It's really because at the top they are unhealthy as well. And so if you take a look at verse 2 and 3, it says this, One night... Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. So we're introduced to two figures. One is Samuel, one is Eli. And here what the author is doing is juxtaposing both characters, right? Samuel's young, Eli, we learn in the next chapter, is 98 years old, so he's old. Not only do we see a juxtaposition, though, of their physical age, but what we also see is a juxtaposition of their spiritual age. Here, when the author is saying that Eli was growing old and it, he was losing his sight, it's not only talking about the fact that he was physically unable to see, but what the author is trying to show us here is that spiritually, he was unable to, to see God as well. And we get a glimpse of Eli's spiritual condition with his location, right? Where is Eli in, the, in, in this verse? He is at his usual place. He's not in the house of God. He's not at church, uh, which is where he should be, but he's in his usual place. I don't know if it was his man cave, cigar lounge, wherever it might be, but he is not where he should be. Meanwhile, where is Samuel? He is in the house of the Lord. Uh, and it's no coincidence then 
that the person that God speaks to is not Eli, but the person that God speaks to is Samuel. I think one of the things that we can learn just from these uh, brief verses is that our proximity really does matter. Your proximity determines your opportunities. So I'll give you a few examples. Uh, If you're in the startup industry, you should probably be proximate to the Bay Area or New York City. If you're an actor or actress, you should probably be proximate to LA and Hollywood. If you're into country music, you should be proximate to Nashville. Why? Because your proximity, where you strategically place your life, your proximity determines your opportunities. I'll give you another example. I was talking to uh, a dad recently, three kids, was living bi-coastal, Arizona, New York City, decided to sell the house in Arizona, moved to a four-story walk-up with three kids in Manhattan. And I was like, why'd you do it? Got great weather, probably had a huge like ranch in Arizona. You know, wh- why'd, you, why'd you do it? And he was like, easy. The ceiling is higher in New York than Arizona, and therefore there are more opportunities. Your proximity determines your opportunities. Now let's, let's place that with God. Why would it be any different? How proximate we are to God, our proximity to God, also determines our opportunities uh, to hear from God as well. The more proximate we are to him, the more opportunities we have to hear from him. The less proximate we are to him, the less opportunities we have to hear from him uh, as well. So one of the questions, concrete things that I want to ask us today is this. What can you do this week to be more proximate to God so you have more opportunities to hear from God as well. So I'll give you a few examples. Uh, The fact that you're even here in this space and place means that you have a better opportunity to hear from God than had you not been here, right? So just the fact that you're here, it's in proximity, right? I'll give you another example. Uh, For for the two people that actually commute to work right now, uh, you can redeem your commute, right? Or if you're commuting to a friend's house by listening to something while you're on the train. Uh, When I go to the gym, I very rarely listen to music. I almost always listen to uh, a podcast or a sermon because I love listening to sermons. Uh, And so that's one way that I try to be more proximate uh, with God. Uh, As you end the night, right, rather than catching up on Singles Inferno and the episodes that you miss, you can spend the last 10 minutes of your night just reading a devotional and catching up with God. These are all practical things that you can do to be more proximate to him so that you have more opportunities to hear from him as well. So what is one thing that you can do this week to have more proximity uh, to him? And you have to know that, uh, you know, as you think about that, it's not enough just to have a desire to do it but you need to have a plan to do it, okay? Uh, Tom Brady just, just announced his retirement, and you know, this, for once he's not in the Super Bowl, but I want you to imagine for a moment, uh, there are two teams in the Super Bowl. They both have good desires. They both wanna win, right? Chances are, if you've made it this far, they both have a lot of talent too, pretty equal amount of talent, right? So both have good desires, both have same amount of talent, more or less, 
Yet, why is it that one team wins and the other team loses? It's because one team had a good strategic plan, the other team did not have a good plan. So it's not enough for us just to have desires. Uh, we have to have some kind of plan if we want to be more proximate to God. The guru for this, James Clear, says in his very influential book, Atomic Habits, if you're having trouble changing your habits, the problem isn't you, the problem is your system. Bad habits repeat themselves again and again, not because you don't want to change, but because you have the wrong system for change. If you want better results, then forget about setting goals. Focus on your system instead. Okay, so habits are not a one-size-fits-all. We're all, you know, wired differently. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are, are evening people. But you have to find something that works for you and implement that kind of plan into your life, okay? So it's not enough to have desires. You need to have a concrete plan in, in ways that you can be more proximate with God. Samuel was proximate to God. Eli was not. Therefore, Samuel had an opportunity to hear from God. Eli did not. And in verse 4 through 6, it says this, Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lay down. So a few things on these verses. One of the things that we see is a little bit more about what God is like. And clearly the fact that God is calling Samuel means that God uh, not only listens to us, but he also speaks to us. Uh, in the very famous creation passage, Genesis 1, it says, and God said, let there be light. So clearly, God speaks. God talks. He doesn't just listen. He Clearly, he speaks to us as well. And what's interesting here, though, is that when God is speaking to Samuel and Samuel hears God, Samuel is unable to recognize the voice of God that, that he's hearing. And one of the reasons why he's unable to recognize uh, God's voice is in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Uh, in Hebrew, whenever you see the word know, it doesn't just mean to intellectually, cognitively know something, but it also means to intimately personally and experientially know something. This is why uh, in the Bible sometimes it will say so-and-so knew so-and-so. And usually when it says so-and-so knew so-and-so, it's alluding to sex, right? They knew one another intimately, personally, experientially. And what this verse is saying is this. So, uh, Samuel could have passed, you know, one of those pop quizzes that we have at CG on the Holy Spirit or something like that. He knew about God but he didn't know God. He knew theology, but he didn't know him in a personal, experiential, intimate way, which is why when he hears God's voice, he's unable to recognize God's voice when God is speaking to him. And we know that because when God speaks to Samuel, he doesn't just speak to him once, but he speaks to him at least three times over and over and over again, and yet Samuel is still unable to hear God's voice because it's so unfamiliar to him. And my question to us is this, could it be possible 
that God has been trying to speak to you in your life. Over and over and over again. But as he speaks to you, you can't recognize his voice because it's so unfamiliar to you. Could it be that he's even shouting to you and yet we're unable to hear his voice? I think part of the reason, there are many reasons, but one reason why we're unable to hear God's voice very clearly, even though he's speaking to us, is because of how hurried and how frenetic and how busy our our lives are. The philosopher Dallas Willard at USC once said this, the greatest enemy to the spiritual life is hurry. Willard was once asked by a college student, what is the one thing the one thing I must, I must do with my life. You know what Willard said? You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That is the one thing that you must do. And taking a page from Willard, John Mark Homer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Hurry is violence on the soul. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can make you sin, can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. This is, this is why the theologian, N.T. Wright, uh, once said that it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. And I can't tell you how, um, how convicting that has been for me in this season of my life, to, to, to push the brake and to slow down because we live such crazy lives. And maybe that is the case for some of you. The reason why we can't hear God is because we're so busy and we're so hurried in terms of the way that we live. So a few things that we can do, again, be proximate to God, slow down our lives, but there's a couple other things that we can do. In verse eight and nine, it says, a third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down uh, in his place. Without Eli, Samuel would have never been able to recognize the voice of God. And similarly, without the help of wiser people in our life, a community of people, sometimes it can be harder to recognize God's voice. But when we have a strong community, it becomes easier to recognize God's voice. And it could be something as simple as this, hey, I think God is saying to me this, what do you think? It could be as simple as something like that. You know, in our staff meetings, uh, every Monday, before we talk about business, Uh, One of the first things that we do to open up our staff meetings is to simply ask this question, what has God been saying to you lately? And what that simple question does, what has God been saying to you lately, is for us to, first of all, expect to hear God, but secondly, what that does is that it fosters a culture 
and an environment where it is normal to ask the question, what has God been saying to you? That question is not abnormal, but it is normal. Why? Because we can't lead our church unless we first listen to what God is trying to say to us. And what if we were a community where it was normal for us to ask one another the question, hey, what has God been saying to me? What has God been saying to you lately? And it's, it's when we have that community where it becomes easier to recognize God's voice. In the Proverbs, it says over and over, listen closely or to turn your ear. And the imagery there is, is that when it says listen closely or turn your ear, it literally means in Hebrew, stretch out your ear like a donkey so you can hear God. To stretch it out. And one of the ways that we can do that again is to be proximate, slow down your life, and to surround ourselves with a community where it's normal to ask a question, what has God been saying to you lately? And when you do that, chances are this speaking God will actually speak to you. But as he does, one of the things that you have to brace yourself for is this, that when he does speak to you, he not only says a lot of good things, I love you, don't worry, I'm with you, it's gonna be okay, don't be anxious, I'm gonna take care of you, I forgive you. He's gonna say a lot of good things, but you also have to brace yourself for him to tell you a lot of hard things as well. So if you take a look at verse 10 to 15, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. <laughs> so interesting about this is, this is the first time Samuel ever hears from God. First time ever, you know. And what does God tell Samuel? Yeah, go, go and say something super encouraging to Eli to like, you know, boost up his confidence and that, you know, that I love him and stuff like that. No. The first thing that God tells uh, Samuel is this. I want you to go to your spiritual mentor, your Yoda, and I want you to tell him that I'm going to judge him and his entire family. Now, you have to keep in mind this is a shame and honor-based culture. Samuel's a boy. Eli's like 98 years old. His, 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 his Yoda. And he is supposed to tell his mentor that God has a word of judgment uh, that is against him. And again, so, uh, the point of this is that when we listen to God, there are times where he will tell us good things, but there are also times where he will say some difficult things uh, to us. Some examples to make this concrete. There are times, and maybe even right now, where God might be saying to you, you know that, that beef that you have with that person? 
and I know that you think it's like totally their fault and it's not your fault, but just so you know, it's never 100% someone's fault and 0% your fault. Sometimes it's a mixture of both. And you know, in this situation, kind of more your fault than their fault. So I kind of want you to go and like reconcile with that person. Man, it was like a year ago though. Like if I open up that wound, it's gonna like cause so much pain and drama. Yeah, but integrity is doing the right thing no matter the consequences and so I kind of want you to do it. And you're like, oh, crap. i got to do it. You may have just gotten a raise. It's awesome. Thank you, God. And then he says to you, but you know that money that you got? It's not yours. Like, I gave it to you. You also know that in heaven is completely worthless, right? There's no value for that Monopoly money up there. So might as well give it away. But it's like... You want me to give away like a MacBook, MacBook Pro every month, basically? Like 12 MacBook Pros every, that's what you want me to do? Yes, because it's not yours. And you're like, oh, crap, got to do it. My friend that I went to seminary with, uh, two weeks before graduation, she cheated on a quiz in seminary, eating her up inside a week before our graduation, knowing that either plagiarism or cheating can get you kicked out of school. A week before graduation, because God was speaking to her so much, haunting her in her sleep, she actually goes up to our, our professor and says, I cheated on this Hebrew quiz. Why? Because integrity is doing the right thing, no matter the consequences. When God speaks, he not only tells us good things, but sometimes he tells us really difficult things. And one of the things that I respect about Samuel is that as he hears God speaking to him, he not only listens by saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, but he not, he not only listens, but he obeys. Right away, all the way, and semi-happy heart, as, as best as he could. And so my question to you is, what could God be saying to you even right now through the preaching of his word? What could he be saying to you right now through the preaching of the word? And I do want to emphasize the preaching of the word because while prayer is the primary way we speak to God, it is his word. This, this is how he primarily uh, speaks to us. In verse 21, it says, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Now, oftentimes we say, why doesn't God just like audibly speak to us? And one of the things I would say is, have you ever written an academic paper? Can you cite a private conversation that you have with someone? No, you cannot. You can only cite something that is a published work in a book or a journal article because that's something that all of us can see. You can't just cite a private conversation. It has no credibility whatsoever. This is why we have to be wary of people when they say, God told me to tell you this, or God spoke to me audibly and said this. Why? Because the primary way that God speaks to us is, is through his word and through the preaching of the word. And what is his word like? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, 
joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is not dead and passive, but it's actually, an, it's alive. It's an organism. It's alive and active, sharper than any lightsaber that can cut through even the hardest and most stubborn uh, of hearts. And how do we know that? When we read the word of God, we know it's alive because when we read the word of God or hear the word of God, it's not, we're not only reading it, it's reading us. It's a mirror showing us what we are like. And what does the Bible tell us we are like? On the one hand, we're made in the image of God, we're loved and forgiven and all that. On the other hand, one of the things that the word of God tells us is this, we would rather speak than listen. And when we do listen, we only want to listen to the things that we want to listen to. That is what we are like. And yet the word of God speaks to us a much better word than any other voices that are all around us and all throughout our, our city. In Hebrews 1, it says this. In the past, like Samuel's time, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, like today, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And so the question is, how does God speak to us uh, through his son? Well, in many ways, Jesus is the greater Samuel. When Jesus heard the voice of God, it was not just good news that he was thrown, but he was thrown a lot of bad news. I want you to become human, I want you to suffer, and I want you to die. That is what God told him. And yet, what does Jesus do? He does not disobey, but as he listens, he obeys even to the point of death because he was after our heart. He not only listened, but he obeyed for us. And so my question to every one of us is this. As we hear uh, God's voice, are we willing to hear it? Are we doing strategic things so we have more opportunities to hear from God? And are we willing to obey as well, to have the same posture of Samuel and of Jesus? And the last thing I would say uh, from a Chinese philosopher a long time ago is the journey of a thousand miles does begin with one step. And so my question to us is what is one thing, what is one step that you can take this week, just one, one step you can take this week to be more proximate to God? What is one thing that you can do today to have a plan to be more proximate to God? What is one thing that you can do this week to slow down your crazy, busy life. By the way, saying that you're busy, it's not, it's not a good thing. Uh, you might feel more important by you know, having all the colors you know, on your GCAL, but that's not a good thing. Um, the wiser you get, the, the more you realize how important it is to live a slowed down life. What is one thing that you can do to pump the brakes? What is one thing that you can do to plug into wiser people in our community? And one easy thing that you can do is just take them out for coffee or for dinner and to bounce back ideas to them. And what is one thing 
that you might feel like God is saying to you maybe even right now? And are you willing to listen? And are you willing to obey? Let's pray. God, we, um, we stink at listening. A lot of times even when we're listening, we're already thinking about what to say in response to someone else. Um, and there's just so many things that, that pull our attention and, and distract us. And we just have no environment in our personal life to actually hear from you. And it's, it's clearly not because you don't want to speak to us, but sometimes we don't give you that room to speak to us. And God, we, we need a word from, from you and we need your help. And so remind us that there is no better place to be than the center of your will. Give us ears spread out like a donkey uh, to have a willingness to hear you, to be proximate to you just as Samuel was. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.